Check, check. Hello. Okay. We're going to make it slightly less than five minutes because we have many guests with us. And we've spent the whole morning eating pancakes together. So I am sure that you're all feeling very connected. And there will be hopefully time after service to, to chat as well. But we want to dive into God's Word on this Easter Sunday where we celebrate the resurrected Christ. And so traditionally in the church, we did this earlier, we say He is risen and then folks respond with He is risen indeed. So let's do that again together just to settle that message into our hearts this morning. He is risen. I'm going to do it again so that everybody is with us. He is risen. That's right. It's kind of fun. We, we, we make this declaration and I know that there are folks here that may or may not believe that statement. Um, but we as Christians believe deeply that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and that Easter Sunday is one of the most powerful, important Sundays of the whole year because it's the day that we remember that resurrection. And it's something we live all year long, right, folks that are Christians here? Amen? We celebrate all year long. Excuse me. And so this Sunday is uh, one of those weeks that pastors get really excited to preach. And it's something, actually, I get really excited to preach all the time. I was recently told that people thought maybe I don't like preaching, but actually I really love preaching it is a really, really big thing for me, and, uh, but sometimes it's a lot of work. And this message today was a lot of work, but a lot of work is good because you give, right? If, if something is going to be worthwhile, it costs you something, right? If something is worthwhile, it's going to cost you something. And so this message cost me something this week, but it cost Jesus even more. And so we want to start. Would we just do this? Could we, could we begin with uh, like just being in a posture of ready to receive from God? Like, just lay your hands on your lap in an open position. Like, you're just ready to receive a baby. You know, you know somebody had a baby. Here's the baby. Just going to be in that position, ready to receive. And let's just say this together. Let's close our eyes and just say to Jesus, I'm ready to receive from you this morning, Lord. I'm ready to receive, Jesus. I'm ready to receive. Now look at your neighbor and poke him in the shoulder and say, I'm ready. Are you ready? That was, that was a really quiet mumble. Like, are you really, are you ready? Am I ready? I'm ready. I'm like so ready. I will warn you that we have placed the cross in the backspace today, and it is perfectly positioned so that I cannot see the clock. I may or may not have done that on purpose. Mark chapter 16. Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 16. If you need a blue Bible, they're right there in front of you. I forgot to write down the page number. So just kind of turn toward the middle and keep headed to the left. If you don't, or nope, that's the right. My other left. Can you turn to the middle, head to the right, and you'll start seeing familiar names. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are like normal Anglo-sounding names. And so find those books and look for Mark and go all the way to the end of Mark. If you get to John, you've gone too far, just page back a little bit. Mark chapter 16, very last chapter. And I'm going to read from verses 1 through 8, which we already have done this morning, but we want to listen to this story again. So when the Sabbath was over... Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the, next, the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. Okay, come on. Who's kidding us, all right? There's this guy in a white robe sitting in a tomb where you're expecting to find a dead body. Don't be afraid. Whatever. So anyway, don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene. I lost my place. Who was crucified? 
He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell the disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you into, the, into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. How many of you have ever been in a situation where things just weren't as they seemed? Like you went into it thinking it was one way, but coming out the other side, it, it, was, it was the other. Anybody here? Yeah, thinking about it. So a couple years ago for Easter Sunday, so my parents, they, in fact, they did it this year. They sent us an Easter basket to our house for, for the kids and Heidi and I. We don't let the kids just have it because we want whatever's in there too. And so we're like this year we're all excited, and when the kids wake up early, and they open that Easter basket, and they start pulling out things. And in this box, in this basket, was this box of Jelly Belly jelly beans. How many of you love Jelly Belly jelly beans? Come on. Jelly Belly jelly beans? Anybody? Yes, I love Jelly Belly jelly beans. Peach flavor? Anybody love peach? Grapefruit. Grapefruit. Licorice. What is wrong with you people? That stuff is like, it's black because it's the flavor of death. Okay, it's just, I know Audrey has a passion for real European licorice, but on, only real licorice. Jelly Belly does not count. So Jelly Belly jelly beans. I love Jelly Belly jelly beans, except for the black ones and popcorn. Nobody should eat popcorn jelly beans. That's just all wrong. Yeah, Kelly's like, praise the Lord, I'll eat popcorn, butter popcorn. Just eat popcorn. Come on, folks. So we get this box of Jelly Belly jelly beans, and we pull them out. And I'm like, I'm so excited. I'm like, grapefruit, peach, all of my favorite flavors are going to be in here. And on the front of the box, it says, bean boozled. <laughs> and he said, what is this? And it turns out that this box of jelly bellies, which we have a picture of up here in a moment, um, is it's this box of jelly beans that has like all of your favorite colors in there. You've got the, you know, the, the orange with the little polka dots. So it's the peach flavor and the, the popcorn flavor. But the thing is, that there are two flavors for each color. So you're going to get, you might get peach, but you also might get barf. You might get apple, or you might get grass. Okay, it is like all of these flavors, like tutti frutti and dirty sock. So you get these things, and you flick this little spinner, and it tells you what color you have to eat, and then you eat that one, and it's like Russian roulette with jelly beans, okay? It's this horrible, horrible game. So we looked at it, and we said, there is no way on God's earth I am going to eat these. So we brought them to the college group. <laughs> That's just the kind of pastors we are. When we bring them to college group, and, and there are a few here today who will tell you that there are some flavors that you cannot get out of your mouth. Right? Simon? Dog food? <laughs> He's like, uh-huh. Still taste it. Dog food. So the game, you just, you, you don't know what you're going to get. And so we just weren't interested in finding out what dirty sock tastes like. And we gave it to the college food group. There was skunk. There was dog food. There was stink bug. They've added now rotten milk and dirty dishwater. You thought you were going to get buttered popcorn, but what you got was rotten eggs. So this is the feeling of the followers of Jesus. I know, it seems crazy, right? But it, they've been bean boozled. They've been following this man for three years, wandering about the desert, sleeping on rocks, eating whatever they can be provided by other people. You know, and these, these women especially had been following Jesus. One was his mother. His own mother had been following him and, and going about with him and ministering to him. These women ministered to Jesus as he went along. And now he's dead. 
They watched him die on a cross after being brutally beaten. What they thought they were going to get is not what they ended up with. And as a mother, I can imagine, I mean, I'm a dad, so when I look at my kids, I have these hopes and these longings for their life, you know, I, I'm not hoping they're going to be doctors or pastors. I hope they'll be something really easy. But uh, th- I have these hopes and dreams for them. Y- I'm serious, doctors and pastors, it's really hard work. But it's great work. And so whatever it is that they're going to do in life, I hope that they're happy and they're fulfilled. And, and uh, to see your child, though, brutally executed right in front of you must have been just fabulously difficult. What they thought they were going to get, what Mary's hopes for Jesus' life were, was something different than what they really got. They were expecting him to be the savior of the whole world. He comes into Jerusalem to shouts of, Hosanna, our God saves. That's what we celebrated last week. And here it is, three days, four days, five days later, and he's dead and in a tomb. And that's how life often works, isn't it? What we think we're going to get, what we hope to have, often turns out opposite. We get bean-boozled. There's this uh, phrase in, our, in our, common, our common culture, American culture. If you're from not an American culture, you may not know this uh, phrase, but finish this phrase for me if you know it. If life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Right. If life gives you lemons, make lemonade. But some of us, we get lemons that are so sour that there is no amount of sugar that we can turn that into good lemonade. And some of us have been given boxes of rotten lemons. Rotten lemons are bad. They stink. They reek. And they've been handed to us, and we hold on to them, and they're like, how am I supposed to make lemonade out of this? We can't. We've been bean-boozled. Things are not always what they seem. Things don't always turn out the way we think that they ought to. But the good news is that that phrase actually rever- works in reverse. That sometimes you get stinky dog food, be- jelly beans, but sometimes you get A&W root beer. And that things aren't always what they seem. When life hands you a box of lemons and you look at that and say, how am I ever going to turn this into lemonade? God can do mighty works and miracles in your life that can transform even the grossest, worst, most broken parts of your life. So I hope that you will hear this this morning. You can't always trust your eyes. You can't always trust your emotions. You can't always trust your experiences. But hear this, it doesn't have to end there. It doesn't have to end there. Things are not always as they seem. In our text this morning, the women, Jesus' mom, Mary Magdalene, a former prostitute, and others, they were planning on finishing the burial of Jesus. See, Jesus was executed just a few hours before the Sabbath day. Now, if you're familiar with Jewish culture, you know that Sabbath day is a day of no work. You can't, you're not supposed to walk more than 30 feet, which is why all their bathrooms were about 30 feet away from their houses. If it was 31 feet, they couldn't quite make it to the bathroom. So they just put them, you know, 30 feet away. So 30 feet was as far as you were supposed to walk. You weren't supposed to cook. You weren't supposed to clean. You weren't supposed to touch dead things. And all of that is involved in this whole ritual purification of the body of Christ. So when Jesus died about two hours before the Sabbath, they quickly took him off the cross. They quickly washed his body. They quickly wrapped it in a linen cloth and quickly placed it in a borrowed tomb. And they laid him out, and they rolled a stone in front of it. Now, the Roman guards took over from this point. They rolled the stone in front of it and made sure it was secure. And the women went home to celebrate the Sabbath. Celebrate, such a weird word in this context, isn't it? Because I imagine that that whole day, like, many of the disciples had been up all night with Jesus. And then when he was taken, they were following. They were awake all day long during his trial and during all the parts of his, his uh, imprisonment and his beatings. They saw all this stuff. The women followed him, and they were with him all night long. 
And then they go to the cross, and he dies, and they bury him. And now they've got two hours, less than two hours, to, to get his body ready and to go home. And they're probably exhausted. But they didn't get to complete the burial process. Because in, in the, this time frame, we didn't have things like, you know, embalming. We didn't have the ability to take the blood out of the body so that it wouldn't rot and stink. So what we had to do was to cover the tomb, block the tomb's entrance so that hyenas wouldn't get in there and wild dogs wouldn't get there and take the body away. And so that the smell of that body wouldn't, that decomposition, that de, de, de how do you say that? Decomposition? That sounds all wrong. It, so that, that as that sets in, that stink doesn't just overwhelm everybody. How many of you know the, smell, know the smell of death? Not just metaphorically, like physically. How many of you know the smell of death? So a few years ago, it, Heidi and I lived in Marysville, Washington, in the west side. We had a house, a little cool little yellow house. It was just a lovely house. And we were both working. This was before Emma was born, I believe, and uh, so forever ago. And uh, we come home from work one day, and we walk in the house, and we're like, what is that smell? Like, did somebody forget to flush the toilet? Because that would have been on me probably at this point. What's that? And it just, we go through the whole house, and it just reeked everywhere you went. And after a little while, you kind of start to get used to that smell. You know what I'm talking about? The really bad smells, you get used to it. So we got kind of used to it, and we couldn't smell it anymore. So we went to bed. The next day, we come home, same thing. We walk in, the door's like, whoa, there's that stink again. And we're like sniffing, like on the hands and knees, crawling around the house, looking for this stink. And we, I go over to the heat register. You know those little heat registers on the floor? And I crawl over the, and I'm like smelling over the top of this heat register. And as the heat comes on, it is just blowing out of the heat register. The smell got so bad that we had to literally move out of our house and stayed in a hotel for like a week. And we brought in this professional guy who was a plumber who had a little sniffer, smelly thing, and would go around and find odors. We finally found a dead mouse on top of our heater. I thought that it got in the heater vent. Thank God it was not in the heater vent. It was on top of it, sitting there dying, putrefying, stinking up my whole house. Now, that was a mouse that was about two inches large. Imagine the smell of an entire human body. So in this day, they had to make sure that that smell didn't reek up everything. And so that's why the women would come with spices and oils to anoint the body of the dead person so that they didn't stink the whole place up. In fact, it says that he was actually buried in a garden. That's a place with a lot of flowers. So he'd be walking around in the garden and go, hmm, man, these flowers smell really good. That's actually the smell of death that's been covered up, Okay. The smell of death that's been covered up with flowers and anointing oils and different things like that. It's just a lovely smell. No, it's the smell of death. Now, I don't want to sound down on the women here in any way. It's just the way their burial system worked 2,000 years ago. But I want you to realize what these women were doing. They were going to cover up the smell of death in a body. And I think that's exactly what we do today, 2,000 years later. Not with physical bodies, but with the dead places of our lives. We, we spin stories of, oh, I'm good enough, or I'm, 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 I'm great enough, or I, I do enough good things in life that these dead things, they're just dead things. And we'll just kind of cover them up with good works and kind words or good thoughts. We think we can think our way through these dead and broken places in our lives. The places that have come from past pains and disappointments and traumas, being hurt by the church, being hurt by your family, being hurt by other people, habits, behaviors, addictions, we cover them up with good smells. 
good works, kind thoughts, going to church, being a good person. We cover the sin to death. Some people call them skeletons in the closet. You can call them lemons, but you can't make lemonade out of them. You can call them disappointments. But whatever they are, they're these places that we try to spin our image in such a way that people look at us and they don't see or smell the dead places in our hearts. Some of us have a hard time covering them with good works, so we go to coping mechanisms like oxycodone, like marijuana, like alcohol. We, we try to medicate the pain. Some of us cover it with work. Some of us cover it with food. Some of us cover it with money. Whatever can take and ease that pain, we're covering it up so that either we don't see it or somebody else doesn't see it. What happens when we spin and cover and anoint the dead places of our lives is that we find that it's impossible to become the healthy, capable, confident, chosen, destined self that you were meant to be in Christ, the person that God says you are. Many people that think that Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. It's one of the greatest, I mean, you guys have probably heard this, right? Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. But the truth is, we're no more hypocritical than the rest of the world. It's the truth. We just have an integrity gap. It's a gap between who I am right now and who God says I can be and who I want to be, who I claim to be. And the question is, in your life, are you moving toward this person that God's called you to be or are you just staying still? It's hypocritical to just stay still and say, this is who I am. But if your life is in a trajectory and you're moving, you're slowly allowing Jesus to do his work in you and you're moving toward your destined self. You're not a hypocrite. You're maybe a little crazy to believe that God uh, believe in who God says you are, but it's a good kind of crazy. It's a good kind of crazy. Christians believe that we don't have to stay in whitewashed, flowered, perfumed graves, but that our destiny is in Christ, and He is raising us from the dead. He is bringing new life where there was death. We believe deeply that it doesn't have to end here. And at this point, I'm looking for somebody to help me out and say, yes, that is what we believe. Because you're staring at me like, really? Wow, I, maybe. Yeah, I do believe that. If you believe that, come on, folks. It doesn't have to end here. It doesn't have to end with spin. It doesn't have to end with addiction. It doesn't have to end with whitewashed. It doesn't have to end with good behavior. It ends with resurrection. And as they were walking, the women were asking themselves this question. I, I imagine that it could have been a sudden realization because they were pretty tired. They were wiped out emotionally, physically, spiritually, in every way. I probably hadn't slept because they were up all night preparing stuff. And they're walking along. You had that moment where light bulb goes off and you're like, oh shoot. Who is going to roll the stone away? Who's going to do that for us? I mean, it took Roman guards to roll the stone in front of the grave, and they're looking around at each other. Now, this is first century Judah, so these people are not, you know, they're women. They're really actually very short. Jesus was a very short man historically, so these women are shorter than him. They're small. They're slight of stature. I mean, they're probably pretty tough because they walked everywhere, but you're not going to be moving a heavy rock. The first question we should be asking ourselves is, where were the men? Right, men? Where were the guys? 
They're asking themselves suddenly, oh, we got to go anoint this body, but there's a giant rock in the way. Where are the guys? Where are our burly fishermen? Where are our manly men? Where are they at? They're hiding in fear. Come on, men. They're hiding in fear that they're going to wind up in the same place that Jesus wound up. So these women are like, what are we going to do? How are we going to complete this burial rite? How are we going to move the stone? And they kept walking. They kept stepping. They kept moving toward the grave. Can you imagine? This is a picture of what it is to be in faith in Jesus. You know that? It's a picture of faith. It's like, there is a thing in front of me here. I know that I can't move it. I know that I can't change it, but, but I'm going there anyway. I've got this thing I'm supposed to do. I'm called, I'm chosen to go do this, but there's this thing that's in my way. Who is going to move that thing for me? I don't know who's going to move it, but I'm still walking. These women are still going, and they're walking, and they're walking, and then it says, say this with me, look up, look up. No, like really say it. Look up. Because they're walking and they're looking down, it says. And when they arrive at the stone, they looked up and the stone was rolled away for them. The stone was rolled away for them. This immovable object for them had been rolled away. It had been set aside. And now they had access to what they were called and chosen to do. They knew that there was something they couldn't do, but they walked anyway, and they looked up, and they saw that the path was clear. Are you walking? Keep walking. Keep walking in your faith. They're pondering the solution, and they look up, and they found out that God, on the Sabbath day when they were resting, had already provided the solution for them. See, God's working even when we're not. God's always at work, orchestrating, healing, mending, pulling things together, even leading us into hard things so that he can bring the very best out of us along the way. And we're just walking with our heads down going, oh, this is impossible. I can't make it. I can't get through this. I can't do this thing. But God was, we were like, I just took my Sabbath day. I took a day of rest, and I I remembered that God was working, but I don't know if I believe it. Head down. And when we look up, We see the stone is rolled away. That God has been working. And that God has risen Jesus from the dead. And sitting on the stone, on that very obstacle that they faced, the very thing that they couldn't move was a messenger. It's just sitting there. Isn't that that kind of a cool picture? The the most immovable object in these people's lives becomes a place that... is preaching the good news. The places in your life that seem impossible, the, the, the trauma, the brokenness, the pain, the addictions, those things that you don't think that you can break, you got your head down and you're just going and you're just going. When you look up and that thing has been moved by God, suddenly it becomes a platform. A platform for the good news. Because he has set you free. So look up. It's the best news of all. A lot of people had performed miracles. A lot of people performed healings. Some people even claim to raise people from the dead. You know, even they do that even in witchcraft. They're called zombies. They come from the dead and they're just, but they're still dead even though they're alive and moving. And, but nothing, you know, happens like this. I mean, even today, people come back to life, right? 
we, we just take them to the hospital. We put these paddles on their chest. We say, clear, and then they're alive again. And the doctors perform this miracle. But nobody in the history of earth has ever risen themselves from the dead. And that is the power of God at work in this story, that Jesus rises from the dead without the paddles, without the witchcraft, without the incantations. He doesn't come out of this grave as a zombie. He comes out alive and whole and clear and with peace and offering us his resurrection and salvation. The stink of death was gone. Look up. New life is coming from the graves of your life. Look up. When I was in high school, there was this man that came to our church, and he, he struggled with mental illness. And I, I want to tell a story about him that, that is funny, but that's because sometimes broken people are funny and do funny things. Sometimes unbroken people, healthy people, do funny things. And this guy did a funny thing. So I'm not making fun of his mental illness, okay? You guys all with me? I'm not making fun of his mental illness, but I, I think it's very funny what he did. So we went to this lake one summer as a church. Our whole church went camp out, and we hung out at this lake, and uh, it's it uh, called Mirror Lake, and it's in Alaska. And we got there, and all the parking spots in this one long parking lot, you know, they were like straight-in parking spots. They're paint, lines were painted. But this one car, this one car at the end of the line, he went in at an angle. And so what does everybody do, right? We all come in at an angle, too. So there's 50 cars in a line, all in an angle in the straight-in parking. You with me on this? Straight-in parking, everybody's parked in at an angle. We do our thing at the lake. Nobody swims. Nobody swims in Alaska. This is just a note, side note, just so you know. Nobody swims. We just hung out at the water and looked at it. Oh, that's nice. Looks cold. And we all go back to our cars, and we get to our cars, and this guy who everybody, he's been a part of our church for a while, and he struggles on and off the middle. He's out there with a notepad and a pen, and he's putting notes on the windshield of everybody's car. And we're like, hey, what, what, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm writing tickets. And we said, why are you writing tickets? He goes, everybody here is parked illegally. Do you see the lines? You park straight, not at an angle. Here's your ticket, $210. said, thank you very much. And we got in the car. We drove away. How many of you think we paid that ticket? Audrey thinks I paid that ticket. <laughs> Audrey knows me well enough to know that I, as a rule follower, might do this. This guy was a serious rule follower. And he said, no, oh, everybody's got to have these. And guess what? Zero people paid that ticket. And you know why? It wasn't because of a mental illness. And it wasn't because it was a silly situation. It was because he had no authority. He had no authority to make us pay that ticket. Absolutely no authority. And yet he expected us to. He expected us to pay that ticket. But he had no authority. And we aren't going to pay it. And never have and never will. Yes, we were parked illegally. Yes, we were in the wrong. But no, he had no authority to cause us to pay that ticket, and I want you to know that the tombs of your life, the broken places, the trauma, the hurt of the past, the wounds from your family, your addictions, all the things that keep you from being who Christ has called you to be have no authority over you now that Jesus has risen from the grave. No authority. No more authority than a man handing you a ticket that is not a police officer, that is not even a public servant of any kind, it has no authority over you. Tombs and tombstones have no authority of you. 
Because the death and resurrection of Jesus, his victory is your victory. His death has been traded for your life. You are strong. You are kind. You are chosen. Not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus has done for you. You can now lay claim to a new identity in Christ and become a new member of the new family of God and no longer be bound by the stones and the graves of your past because they hold no authority over you. There is no addiction, no authority. Sickness, no authority. Trauma, no authority. Abuse, no authority. I'm not paying because Jesus paid it all. Amen? I'm not paying. Anybody here not going to pay? Jesus paid it all, and that's good news, but it doesn't end here. If you look down in your Bibles, back to Matthew 16, there's this weird bracket. Do you guys see the weird bracket there? It's like all in caps. So this was not written in text. It's not shouting at you, I promise. It's all written in caps. It says, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include 16, 9 through 20. Now, people who are like, hey, the Bible contradicts itself, or hey, the Bible's got, that wasn't, you know, in there originally. Uh, this is one of the places where they're right. This wasn't originally in here. Everything after those brackets was not necessarily written or even said by Mark, the guy who the rest wrote the rest of this book. What scholars think happened was that scribes and later, uh, you know, basically the Xerox machine of their day, which were just men who sat down and hand-copied these letters down, they got to the end of the story, and they read, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And they go, you, you can't end that there. Some, somebody call Mark. What's he thinking? The phone hasn't been invented yet. You know, we can't call Mark. I don't, where, where even is this guy? Like, what, what about, it says here, you know, go tell the disciples and Peter. What, what about Peter? What about what about the whole commission thing, like this church thing that's happening? Like, we keep meeting together. We're meeting in homes. We're meeting in synagogues. We're meeting in the biggest places we can find and gathering together. We've got small groups. We've got big groups, and we're coming together, and people are preaching. What about all that stuff? What about this whole go into all the world thing that Jesus talked about? It can't end at this. It can't end here. That'll preach. That's what they used to say in my church when I was growing up. That'll preach. They couldn't change things. They couldn't add to what was already written, but they felt like, hey, you need to know this. You need to know that Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. He, you need to know that he appeared to the disciples. You need to know that he said, go into all the world and proclaim the good news that your tombs and your tombstones, they don't have any authority over you anymore because of Jesus. In fact, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So go. You need to know this stuff. They wanted to include more of the story because it can't end here. And your story can't end here. It can't end in fear and trembling. It can't end in I kept my mouth shut. It can't end in the tombs had their last say. I've been reading in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's been very specifically Ecclesiastes chapter 7. God has planted me in Ecclesiastes 7 and Psalm 27 in my personal life. I'm just reading those things over and over again and letting them wash over me and, and pondering what God is saying in them. And this guy who writes Ecclesiastes, they call him the preacher. So I read them like sermons, like this guy is standing up there preaching to me. And there's this verse in verse 713. It says this, Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? What? 
thought, what in the world does that even mean? Who can make straight what God has made crooked? Does God make crooked things? And it occurred to me the other day that, you know, I'm one of those people that I'm a point A to point B sort of guy, right? I go on autopilot all the time. In fact, when before Emma got her driver's license, we were, I'd be taking her to the high school in the morning. I'd have all three kids in the car. We're going to take Emma to the high school, and we're going to go to and I'd be coming down the hill, and I, I get to the bottom of the hill, and instead of turning left to go to the high school, I go right to go to the elementary school because that's where you go. I'm on autopilot. I want the quickest point between point A and point B. I'm willing to experiment to find a quicker way. You know, if, if Highway 26 seems like it's going to be slow, let's go ahead and go up to I-90 and go that way. If that'll save us a half hour, let's do it. That doesn't work, just by the way. You know, I don't know what it is, but it's a lot slower to go any other way. So I want to go from point A to point B, and I want to get there as fast as I can. I want the stones that are in front of the grave to be gone when I get there. I want the obstacles that I face in life. I, I don't want the pain. I don't want the hurt. I don't want to have to go through the, like when I go to exercise, what I want to do is walk to the gym and have muscles. I don't want to lift the heavy things. Point A to point B as quick as I can. But the preacher in Ecclesiastes says this. Sometimes God takes us the long way to get to the things that he needs to get to in our life, to bring freedom to tombs we're not even aware of, to move stones that we haven't, he hasn't even hit our radar because we're busy looking down or we're busy focusing on this one, but there's like five others over here. We've just been going around them all this time. And God doesn't want to just move one stone for you, and he doesn't want to just resurrect one thing in you. He wants to bring it to completion in you, this thing that he has started, this thing that he has dreamed and destined for your life. He wants to bring it to completion so that you are whole and complete in his kingdom. And so sometimes he takes us down a crooked road to get there. There is always more to our stories. We live in that tension between Jesus has made me whole and I still have these places of brokenness. I still have these places of fear. And the path that God takes to get you to new life is very often through death. We have to take the hand of Jesus and let him lead us to the tombs that he is looking to resurrect us from. We have to take the hand of Jesus and stop covering up the stench of death in our lives and start receiving his life and his healing and his wholeness to allow him to put to death and to bury what needs to be buried and gone and to resurrect to new life what needs to be brought to new life in you. Jesus is always in the habit of trading his life for our death. That's the message of the cross. He trades his life for our death. And we have to take a hold of that life to let go of the death that is holding us back and start walking in faith, believing that this is not the end, that there is something more, that my life story can't end here. I have found very often that fear can be the beginning place of faith. I have found far too often in my life that failure becomes a starting point of grace. I find that my frustration is the beginning place of surrender. That death is the starting point of new life. It doesn't have to end here. It doesn't have to end here. Worship team, would you guys come up? Sweet. I couldn't see what time it was.
what I'm talking about? Sounds absolutely impossible. And frankly, it is. It is impossible. In fact, Jesus himself said it's impossible. A rich man comes to him and says, what do I have to do to enter the kingdom of God? He's like, keep all the laws. He's like, I did all that. Love my neighbor as myself. I haven't murdered anybody. I was nice to my mom and dad. I kept the Ten Commandments. He's like, good job, you. Now all you have to do now is take everything that you own and sell it and give it to the poor and follow me. And he's like, oh. His disciples say, who could do that? He says, it's impossible. You can't do it. Nobody can do it. But with God, all things are possible. And that is the story of Jesus, that all things are possible. The book of Exodus shares the story of of the Hebrews that were captured in slavery. For 400 years, living under the yoke of slavery over the the Egyptians. They had no homes of their own. They had no wealth of their own, no power of their own. They worked day in and day out for, for no reward for themselves but to live. For 400 years, they lived in slavery, but they cried out to God, and God heard them. And behold, you guys have been around, you know the word behold. It means to stand in awe and wonder. Behold, God sends Moses. God sends Moses to say, let my people go. And God performs these works of wonders that nobody could have ever imagined would happen. Signs and wonders like unbelief until the Egyptians relent and let the people go. And they go marching out, and guess where God leads them? Right to the edge of an ocean. And the Egyptians go, hey, wait a minute, what were we thinking? And they chase them to the edge of the ocean. And now the Israelites, after 400 years in slavery, are sitting at the edge of an ocean with an army at their back. It's an impossible situation. And God says, behold all my wonders. And he parts the water. I heard a preacher recently talk about this, and he said, Shamu and Nemo were both freaking out, going, no, uh that isn't it happening. The water parts. There's walls of water on both sides. And God says, you know what? I don't want my, my brothers and sisters here to get their feet muddy. And so he makes the ground dry. And in a moment, 400 years of slavery becomes freedom. In a moment, 400 years of poverty becomes unbelievable wealth. In a moment, an impossible circumstance, an impossible situation becomes possible because God was in it. Boy, that is, you might be saying that's a great story, but I want you to know it's not just a story. You might be saying that my graves are not like the graves you're talking about, Pastor. My stones are not like the stones you were talking about. It's nice to hear this thing about the Hebrews, but it's not possible for me. And that is not true. With God, all things are possible. And the things that you see in front of you are not always what they seem. In just a moment, you can have a status change in your life from broken to healed, from in bondage to free, from addicted to clean, from broken to whole. In just a moment, reaching out and receiving what Christ has for you. This is the morning of all mornings to reach out and receive that. It's Easter Sunday. It's the Sunday that Christ rose from the dead and he's saying this resurrection is for you. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 50 years 
where you're not a Christian at all. You're far from God. You're like not even interested. God is not even on your radar. You were drugged here this morning. You're like, you said there was pancakes, so I came. But in a moment, you can go from I'm not interested to I'm all in. In a moment, you can go from I am so far from God to Christ is closer than my breath. That is the story of the resurrection. In a moment, what was dead was now alive. In a moment, what was lost is now found. You have been not paying attention for a long time. You've been on your own little Sabbath holiday, doing your own thing, but God has been working in you and in your life. And in a moment, you can be free. Your story doesn't have to end here. The grave does not have to be the end. It doesn't have to be about spin and hype and excuses. It can be about freedom and joy in Christ. This morning, I, I just really feel this call. I say that Jesus is calling you to come out. And there's so many ways you can respond. But this morning, one way that I'd like to invite you to respond is just by raising your hand. Now, raising this, it doesn't do anything. Right? This doesn't change anything. But it is a, it is a step of faith to say, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to take what Jesus is offering. So if anything this morning and you're in this place and you're just like, I need, I need that freedom. I need that release from the grave. Just lift up your hands in this place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We just receive, God, what you have for us. We receive your freedom right now. Just pray that prayer with me. I receive your freedom, Jesus. I receive your freedom. A lot of us are, including myself, have been frustrated with my life. I look at what I believed God called me to be. I look where I thought I would be in my 40s. And what I see is not what I thought things would be. I was being boozled. A lot of us are in that place. Our pain, our trauma, our dysfunction, our addictions. We're like, the gap is so big, Jesus, between what I thought I was going to be what people said I was going to be in the church, what all the prophecies and prayers and all the things about God's word say I am. I'm so far from that. The gap is big. Jesus is calling you just to make some motion with him, just to take his hand and walk the crooked path and see where he leads you, to move you toward who he's called you to be. He's inviting you to remember that your story doesn't have to end there. The Old Testament, they had these places called altars. And altars were stone piles where things went to die and commitments were made. This morning, I want to invite you to make an altar in your life. To take Jesus' hand and allow him to lead you down the crooked path. And to come to the altar and to let something die that needs to be dead. To leave that death there. And to make a commitment to the Lord. We're going to sing a song. As we do this, I want to invite you to come and make that altar here in the front of this place. Again, nothing special about down here. In fact, the concrete's probably dirtier here than it is where you're sitting. But this altar is in your heart, and when you get up and move from one place to another, you make a step of faith and a commitment to Christ that I am moving toward you physically, and I'm moving toward you spiritually. Come and make an altar before Jesus. Would you do that this morning? Jesus, as we worship you, God, we make an altar before you, and we ask, Lord, that you would lead us to new life in Christ, 
that we would be faithful to walk with you down the crooked path that you lead us. Jesus, we set an altar here this morning and we put to death the things that are not of you, the things that have held us back, the things that, the places we keep going to and trying to anoint, we lay them here before you and ask that you either resurrect them to new life or put them to death for good so that we can walk in freedom in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? As we sing this song, we're just making this front space just available as an altar. We're going to sing a song of celebration. We're not singing a song of mourning and of sorrow. It's called Glorious Day. could carry that kind of weight it was my team till I met I was breathing but not alive all my failures I tried to hide it was my tomb till I met you sing this out you call my name you call my name and I ran out of that grave out of the darkness into your glorious day when you call my name you called my name And I ran out of that grave Out of the darkness Into your glorious day And now your mercy has saved my soul And now you free is all that I know. Here comes the old man new, the old man new. Jesus, when I met you, you call, you call my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day when you call my name you call my name and I ran out of that grave oh, out of the darkness into your glorious day I needed rescue my sin was heavy but chains break at the weight of your glory I needed shelter I was an orphan but now you call me a citizen of heaven when I was broken you were my healing and now your love is the air that I'm breathing I have a future my eyes are open cause when you call my name I ran out of that grave 
out of the darkness into your glorious day. You call my name and I ran out of that grave out of the darkness into your glorious day. Amen. Jesus, we set an altar before you right now, wherever we're at. If you're making an altar before the Lord and declaring this this morning, that you're running out of your grave, you're receiving his freedom and his life, would you just raise your hands all over this place? We receive you, Lord. We need rescue, Lord. Our sins are heavy, but our chains are breaking at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan, but now you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing, and now your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a future, my eyes are open, because when you call my name, I ran out of that grave. One more time, out of the darkness. Into your glorious day, you call my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. Let's give the Lord a clap. Jesus, we thank you for your resurrection power, and we thank you that you are setting us free. And God, we want to walk faithfully with you, so give us patience. I pray patience over this church. I pray patience over this congregation. The fruit of your spirit is patience, to wait and walk the crooked path that you have for us. And so we would just receive that patience this morning. And as we, as we take that patience, God, as we walk that path, we sing this song with a thousand generations. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. in the grace of our Lord this morning in his life and resurrection to, to know his resurrection power over you and to know his love for you which is so much higher and wider and deeper than you could ever imagine and go in the love of this church and your pastors Heidi and I amen you know if you receive Jesus for the first time this morning or you made an altar and you just want some more prayer there's some folks available in the backspace to pray for you so please don't leave without prayer this morning amen